So this is a very special morning. It's um, midsummer's eve, early morning, and it's uh, almost 25 degrees outside already. It's a beautiful summer day. Um, and we are at my family's country house, about an hour and a half from Stockholm. And you are here. How are you? Yeah, it's really exciting. Uh, so we have been recording these podcasts over Zoom over the last three or four months. and. Um, I traveled to Stockholm last weekend uh, and I'm here for a couple of weeks and it's been a uh, really, really interesting experience to arrive in Stockholm after over three months uh, in lockdown in London and because London is still, you know, in semi-lockdown and Stockholm was never in lockdown and Whatever Stockholm felt like in April, I have no idea. But what Stockholm feels like in June is exactly like what it was like when I was here last in February, except that the weather is much better. So I was totally shocked, pleasantly shocked by being able to go to a restaurant for the first time in months, for have a coffee, sit on the terrace, have a proper beer, not from a bottle, but from a from the tap. So yeah, I don't want to make people outside Sweden uh, too jealous, but it is very, very nice to come back into some sort of normality. And it's been great, really great. It's all relative. I think many of us here, we still feel that we are socially distanced, that we're still adapting, people are still working from home. Yeah. Maybe not as much, but there are still restrictions that we... Uh, we follow, but I, yeah, of course, it's very different from. from Except, of course, that they're, they're not restrictions. Oh no, they no, have never been. no, they're no, suggestions. They're never been. Yeah. Suggest well, strongly yeah. recommended too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, it's nice, um, and uh, yeah. So you know, I've been reading. I obviously I speak to Swedes almost every day on the phone in the last three months. So I've been following it quite closely. Mm. But being here is just totally different. And so, uh, so what is the when you read your newspapers? What is the picture you get, and how does that compare to what you hear from us, me, and others? Yeah, so that's very interesting. I think connection to what we're talking about today. I, I, uh, I saw an article in the FT. I think it was just about around the time that I arrived here, or maybe a few days earlier, in which you know your your Kai, your virologist has. Um, done a bit of a you know we we could have done this better and the financial times which is probably my most favorite newspaper uh, certainly in the last few months um i really trust their uh their reporting it just picked up some of it but it didn't really give you all the details of what he said so that that you you're sort of missing out on some of the important nuances of his message that I get from you guys because um, so you know for example the number of deaths in care homes versus in the rest of the uh, population and that was an important part of it and that was really not reported in the FT so there's something here about um, what newspaper so the, so this journalist working for the FT, I'm very sure that what he thinks he's writing, he thinks he's writing the truth. So he's trustworthy or trust, full of trust. 
but he's not reporting the whole picture. So what can we trust in terms of news? How can we make sense of the world in a in a uh, in a world where I mean, yeah, the FT is probably one of the most trustworthy news sources you can have, but most people don't read the FT. Most people get their news from Facebook or from Instagram. So, yeah, that's an interesting, um, uh, interesting, and this is very specifically something that I have, you know, probably more knowledge than most people outside Sweden about the Swedish situation. And I'm thinking, ah, oh, okay, so this is actually one thing that I can judge on its truth, on its tr trustworthiness, that um, many people, other, many other people can't. So, to answer, that's a very long answer to your question, but so I think people outside Sweden that have less experience with working with Swedes and talking to Swedes on a database like I do, um, probably have a very different picture of what's happening here. I mean, it's considered to be, and in particular Stockholm, is considered to be one of the worst places in the world to be right now because this is where coronavirus is very bad. And you know, let's put it, put it uh, uh, like this. It doesn't feel like that. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, we, we did talk about, you know, can I give you a hug when you come here? Yeah. I have a lot of respect for the fact that you know, it might feel very weird hmm. to come here uh, to an open society when you have been in lockdown for a long time, that it feels a bit daunting. And I think maybe, I don't know, did you have that at all? Well, I've, two, I've hugged two people in the last three months. Yeah. And in the last week I've hugged, and I know, you, you know, you ask first, you know, sweets ask first, is it okay? But I've hugged probably between five and ten people. And, and to be fair, many people do not do that. No. So, okay, I just have to recognize something here because there is a fly in this room <laughs> and I'm very noise sensitive. And I know this, this sound is going to travel through uh, the microphone to, to the podcast and it's just part of the experience. Yeah. So, okay. It's, some, it's somewhere and we're in the countryside. <laughs> there are flies. I know, I know. Yeah. I just didn't want them near the mic. But anyway, it so, is what it is. Yeah. But, but on the, I mean, looking at this topic, trust, which is, I mean, that's what we're going to talk about, right? Mm. We were uh, we were talking, uh, was it this week? I can't remember because we talk about this quite a lot. We're talking about two really important concepts. One is attention and how much attention really is worth. You think about it as a hard currency almost. Everybody wants your attention. And I think we both agree that the other hard currency is trust. So if you have somebody's attention and trust, God, you're really in there. Mm. So, so the question is then, what, what, what builds trust? What is trust really? And you're talking about you know, fake news or it's not really fake news, actually. It's more, it's more about somebody's selective attention in a yeah. way, you could yeah. say. So I think this, so there, there are obviously people that write news, fake news, and they do this with a very specific objective to, to create um, uh, ambiguity or really send, in, send into the world untruthfulness, lies, really, right? So there are news outlets, um, but in particular, sort of 
uh, Facebook and and, and uh, Instagram and places like that, where you can't trust the news because the, the people that are actually writing the news, the fake news, they're not in it to be trustworthy. So that's one thing, right? So there are lies that are sold as news. But then there are journalists that are, they think they're telling the truth, but they're actually not fully telling the truth without them knowing it because they haven't gone deep enough into the facts. For example, because those facts are in a different language. For example, because those facts are actually, it requires you to go quite deep to get to the data and the facts. So truth is more than just being truthful. It's also actually having done, really having done your research. Uh, because I don't think that FT, FT journalist knew he was missing out on things. I don't know, but I think he probably just didn't do enough work and dig deeper into the content. If I, if I were to bring that into a, a more personal trust level between people, I think there are similarities. So if you think about what makes you trustworthy, it's also about really knowing yourself. Do you understand which signals you are sending out? So if you think you're being honest and true and you don't realize you're actually not even honest to yourself because you're kind of living in a lie, if you like, but it's such a subtle lie that mm. you're not aware of it even, but other people kind of pick it up without knowing what it is. This very, very um, subtle level of trust mm. that has a big, that makes a big difference. So when it comes to trust, authenticity, and the deeper levels, uh, you may think that you are trustworthy and honest and authentic and so on, because you don't know better yourself either. Mm. Mm. I think this, this word authenticity is actually pretty important in all of this, right? So yeah. it, to be trustworthy, it's important to be real, to be the only you that is out there, um, rather than some version of you because you're in a certain setting. You know, how sometimes people say, oh, do I answer this question based on how I am at home or how I am at work? Mm. And we all say, well, is there a difference? Or the fact that sometimes it's very difficult to answer, I don't know, mm. because you think there is an expectation of you knowing or having a certain opinion. Mm. And when you start expressing that and it's not authentic, People will call you out at some point. Maybe they don't know or they can't do it at the factual level, but the underlying way the message is given, it, it, I think we can pick it up. So we mm. have like a sensor for unauthentic uh, people, mm. uh, even if we don't know. Mm. But we have a very good, I think we have a very good model. And you're more into models than I am, but this model I really like. Mm. Uh, so I'll let you... I'll let you explain. You mean the trust equation? Yeah, yeah. By yeah. Meister. Meister, David Meister. That's it. So it sounded like you were <laughs> like a teacher interrogating. <laughs> yeah, a no, no, I, because <laughs> I forgot. Um, oh, okay. um, so the trust equation, uh, it's an equation. So there's uh, three things that we need to maximize and one thing we need to minimize. So the three things we need to maximize for trust are credibility, reliability, and intimacy. And the one thing we need to minimize is uh, focus on ourselves. So, yeah, so I think 
credibility is quite clear, right? So what is credibility really is like what um, making sure that the people that you want trust from uh, understand that you know what you're talking about. Is that so sometimes people say, uh, who am I having an opinion about this? Because I'm just, mm. you know, a simple human being. So that's a way of saying, don't believe what I'm saying. I may not be a credible source. Mm. When you hear an expert saying that, I, I, mean, I, had, I had a really good example of this, actually. It's a, a very senior yoga instructor. So a, a, a man in his, I think it's in his 60s. And he was... I mean, if you have a credible source of information when it comes to all levels of yoga, all perspectives of yoga, he would be the one. And he went into teachings with us saying, you know, don't believe what I'm saying. You have to try it out for yourself. Mm. And he, if anybody, could have said, this is how it is. Mm. So there's something about, okay, he has a massive, you know, credibility in terms of his experience, his um, his knowledge, his uh, his own research, and everything that he's done, mm. but he's still having this kind of entry. Yeah, so it's an interesting point. So if you if you need to talk about how credible you are, you probably aren't. No, exactly. Yeah. So credibility comes comes ahead of you before you meet people. They already know about your experience mm. and and how well you know them or whatever it is, mm. yeah. and how well you know a subject and so on. Reliability is about doing things right to the right quality in the right time, right? Reliability, there's a time issue as well. So if you consistently are late, then people start to expect you're late and they start to mistrust that you will deliver on time, for example. There's something about truth here. So if you say you're going to do something, you do it. But mm. it's also about the courage of saying, no, that's probably not very likely that I will arrive at eight because mm. you know yourself mm. and, and you stand up and you say, let's make it 8.15 rather than... So there's something about... It's, it's very, it sounds very simple, but actually I think it's more difficult to be reliable than people generally mm. make out of it somehow. Mm. Yeah, there's a connection here with um, uh, conscientiousness. Of yeah, course. yeah, definitely. If you have a high level of conscientiousness like we both have, then... It's much easier to be to develop reliability in the people that you want to that you want to trust you. But what this also means, and I'm talking from personal experience here, is that I find it hard to trust people who don't have this reliability from a very conscientious place. Mm. So it has a negative for me, perhaps a bigger negative impact because I I have a lot high level of conscientiousness myself. So I'm wondering if we have different, I don't know, maybe we weigh these qualities differently. Mm. Do you see what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And the third point, so the third uh, part of the trust equation that we want to maximize is intimacy. Now, I think this is a really interesting one. This is probably the most difficult one for some of the people we work with because it's such a loaded word, really, you know, what do you mean intimacy? We're in business together, right? What do you mean, do we need to be intimate? So, because we do a lot of work with this, getting teams to develop intimacy. Um, I think it's an interesting, I think we have some credibility talking about this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, 
So what is part of intimacy? Very often I hear, you hear people say, oh, I can be personal, but I'm not willing to be private. There's a difference between person, personal and, and private. I think that's simplifying intimacy. Mm. I think uh, intimacy is um, being authentic uh, in how you feel about something without being controlled by your emotions. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So it's something about finding the right level of expressing what you're going through, what is really true with somebody at the same time as you're present with that person or in that context to pick up anything else that's happening at the same time and allow that to change the way you perceive the situation. Now, that sounds perhaps a little bit uh, vague if, if you're not really with me on what I mean by intimacy, but it's a real human connection, mm. authentic, deep, real human connection. It's not about the factual level of connection we both work at the same place, therefore we're connected. We both have the same objectives, therefore, mm. and so on. This is much deeper. So what, uh, what we work with often is um, vulnerability. So can colleagues, members of the same management team, for example, can they be vulnerable with each other? And, and the, the, the key here is that real authentic real authentic vulnerability is so powerful in work in business settings right and let alone and of course also in personal settings but it's almost easier to be vulnerable in a personal setting than in a, in a work setting so if you can talk about things that truly where you can really talk about something that is that that is um uh perhaps something that you're struggling with or something that is hurting you or some something that lets you really truly be vulnerable with that person that you're talking to you are developing trust with that person so we ask sometimes people to talk about this question tell a story of your life that has a deep impact on the person you are today and we ask people to tell stories to each other with this question in mind that develops trust because it really goes into vulnerability deep vulnerability and intimacy i think also what that does is when you talk about yourself and something that's really important to you that has a big impact on you or perhaps have had a big impact on you you put yourself in that emotional state so if you start painting the picture, visualizing the situation because you're telling a story. This, the word story here I think is quite important. Mm. You, you kind of, you put yourself in that state and that state will impact the person you have opposite or next to you. Mm. They will feel it. And, and that's what I mean also by the subtle, perhaps um, emotional connection that you then make. So you kind of open up a bit and that opens up the person you have next to you. Yeah. So this trust equation has three points we want to maximize. So they are, they're above the line and under the line there's only one. So above the line, just to summarize, we have credibility, reliability, and intimacy. And under the line we have, I can't remember exactly what Self-orientation is Self-orientation. Yeah. Ego, I would yeah. say. Yeah. And this one, 
I think you'll recognize this when I when I talk about a um, example. If you think about people that are really good at um, or for who it's very important to develop trust, these are counselors, therapists, priests. And what do these people have in common? Executive coaches, perhaps we should say. What do these people have in common? We we don't talk about ourselves very much. We have a true deep interest in the person and really deeply listen to the person. And there's not much interest in ourselves. So, you know, people that are great at listening and people that are have a, have a high level of kindness and empathy are easier to trust. Can I add one category to to that because this is something I talked to a friend of mine about years ago before I knew anything about the trust equation and when we were both out in the in, in the dating scene and we we both concluded that it's really really nice to go out with a guy who's a solicitor or a barrister mm. because they ask questions <laughs> and they listen yeah and that's what it is it's yeah. about the self-orientation so all of a sudden you feel that okay that somebody is really interested in in me and that develops a trust and then potentially something yeah. else and so trust we don't i mean if, if when you think about it it's a feeling inside ourselves that we we are not or very often we're not aware of this that this is happening but we can be more conscious of it so we can be i wouldn't say manipulative that sounds very negative but we can be more conscious of well if i approach a conversation in this way i will develop more trust in that other person than if I do it in another way. So be conscious, be deliberate about trust. Um, I think it's really quite quite important, in particular in professional settings, when you lead people or when you want to uh, develop trust with clients or customers. Think about what does develop trust and be more trustworthy in, in how you operate. Something that helps uh, bringing self-orientation down is if you can find that place of curiosity within you because if you're exploring a situation <clears throat> a setting another person when you are really curious you kind of let go of your ego for a bit mm. and, and you stay with that curiosity and perhaps ask questions or you listen from a place of curiosity rather than from a place of insecurity or um you know, self-orientation where, where you're thinking about what you're going to say next to position yourself because you think that's what's necessary and perhaps what's uh, expected as well to create credibility. But if you really stay with the curiosity, I think that also helps perhaps the, the credibility. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Maybe you don't need to spell out what you're good at. No. Well, and as we said earlier, perhaps it's actually counterproductive to talk about what you're good at. Just show it or mm. ensure that people already know it before you even arrive, mm. which is often the case for us, right? If you think about it, because the reputation comes ahead of you. Mm. But, but to be fair, if I'm thinking now about trust and how I approach a recruitment situation when I'm in interviews, one of the things um, that I think is a very positive uh, interview is when the uh, person I'm interviewing is also asking me questions, mm. not because they plan for it, 
but it, there is a difference, you see. I, I feel when they come from a curious place. So maybe we are sort of approaching the end mm. and they still haven't had, you know, they, they're not ready to, to, to leave the interview. They don't have enough. And then they start asking these really curious questions, not prepared necessarily, mm-hmm. but questions like, so, so why, why do you like working here so much? So there's mm. something you want to know about the, perhaps yeah. the setting. Yeah. So again, that create, and they have no, perhaps this is not a question about how good they are at something. This is something completely different. Mm. And it develops something else. Mm. So, uh, so we talk about one other thing <clears throat> regarding trust, and that is not lying. Oh. Remember this book? Did you ever read this Sam Harris book? No. Lying? No, I've got okay. it. I've got oh. it though. So I look at it sometimes. Does that help? <laughs> I'm sure it helps. <laughs> But <clears throat> let me just say that then. This is a brilliant, it's such a short little book. It's, uh, I don't know, 100 pages. And um, it's written by, it's written by Sam Harris, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, and it's called Lying. But what did you have in mind now? Well, I was thinking about um, uh, trust in <clears throat> trusting kids and teenagers. Oh, okay. These guys can teach us one of two things about trust. And trusting, right? So. I think, find me a teenager that doesn't lie to their parents. That's just really, really difficult for teenagers to always be honest. And um, what I've been saying to my kids since they um, uh, could listen to language, understand, you know, since they were very, very young, is that trust, what is it again? Trust arrives on a bicycle and leaves in a Ferrari. And it's just so clear. And I think they, they always remind me me of that saying or they do often um, because there's something about uh, teenagers just they, they they tend to find it quite hard to always be completely truthful and maybe it's almost part of being a teenager but what i try to say is well if you don't want to tell me something that's fine just tell me that you don't want to tell me rather than tell me something that is not truth so don't lie just say, yes, I will tell you the truth, or no, I won't tell you. Um, and I do think I've got a pretty high level of trust with my kids. Now, the other thing is that even though I've caught them on lies, I sort of don't, I, so I say, I will continue to trust you. So I, I sort of smother them in trust, although they perhaps don't completely deserve it. So I'm almost doing something else than what the saying says. I am ignoring the fact that it leaves in a Ferrari. I'm just, I continue to trust them, even though I know that they've told me a lie. And I think that's really useful too. Um, I think, I'm pretty sure because they've told me, well, one of them has told me that that is helpful. So I think they're pretty trustworthy now that they're they're young adults. Uh, I think I I I can generally trust them now, and I definitely didn't always. I wasn't always able to trust them in the past. So what can we learn from trust? So we can trust, although you've of although you've seen the opposite evidence, perhaps. So trust a bit more than you would feel like trusting, and say that to people as well. Maybe that's a Point. I'm 
I mean, what you're talking about now is, I think, generally really, really difficult for, for most of us. So if you think about bring that into a relationship mm. with a partner and somebody's been unfaithful or broken the trust, mm. um, can you consciously make a decision to say, I've seen that, that was really painful, and now I'm going to trust you as much again? Yeah. So basically with the, with the child, when you say, or a teenager, when you say that, you basically, every time... What I'm thinking here is that it's going to be more and more painful that for them to lie to you because they know they are hurting you and you continue giving. So you're giving and giving and mm. giving as a parent and, and because also you believe this is, this is right. So maybe it's hard for you too, but you still do it. In an equal relationship, or if you take that to an office environment, I'm wondering if it's becoming even more difficult. And I really sincerely don't know the answer to this, whether that's a good thing to do or not. I sense that it would be powerful in the same way that it is powerful between a parent and a teenager. But I, I completely agree with you. And well put, by the way, is, uh, my ramblings, you've made it very clear. Um, what we're talking about here is we're actually asking somebody to do something extremely difficult. Somebody has broken your trust and you're continuing to trust them and tell them that you are and see what happens. What really interesting. But it's, it's interesting then to play with the trust equation. So what I did with a, a client of mine is uh, it's just that. We went through, we looked at all the parameters of the equation. We went through his management team and he kind of rated them on a scale one to five, one to 10. Where, where, where is he with each and every person so you actually ended up with a number. And that was such a good and interesting insight to then think about, okay, what does that mean for my leadership, for my situational leadership with this person? How can I support that person knowing that this is the trust level I have for them? Yeah. So um, <laughs> I said this was going to be a long one, <laughs> didn't I? <laughs> uh, we haven't, there's several things we haven't talked about. Uh, but we, we, I don't think we should talk about it. Otherwise, this will be a long-form podcast, and that's not what we're doing. <laughs> so let's um, let's summarize or wrap up. I, I mean, two things for me. If I think about what we talked about, one is <clears throat> play with the trust equation. Mm. So you can also, if if you want to see it and read more about it, you can Google David Meister and the trust equation, and, and it will come up. But I think you explained it. You explained very clearly what with the four mm. factors that we think about. But the other one is, I strongly suggest read Sam Harris's book, Lying. Yeah. So, yeah. Great. So I should too. <laughs> I think you should. <laughs>